What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you guys for round two this week, because we apparently have nothing else better to do with our times. I got a new mic. And we, oh, well, I guess it's not really accurate to say we have nothing else to do. We're testing some other stuff out to improve your guys' experience. So, Trying to get the listener's experience yeah. to the optimum level, as well as the visuals. You can notice I've changed my background. And then a quick shout out because we haven't done it in a while for Paragrine Recovery. They're actually running a sale right now, a 40% off sale. So I actually stocked up myself on some uh, their Flame Off and their Night Gain supplement. Uh, highly recommended. Uh, I've actually been needing to buy some more to re-up my Flame Off because uh, I've been training. Well, I've been working out like two hours a day. So my body has been kind of uh, getting torn down. So I'm looking forward to get these supplements back start implementing my daily regimen to help help me recover and speaking of daily regimen uh we started a new initiative on whoop so do you want to talk about that real quick so we can track all the studs yeah sure uh so i will say that we probably should have done this sooner Uh, i've had a whoop strap for for years now but um i've just been lazy the last like couple months and just haven't been wearing it i didn't really i haven't used the app in a while i didn't realize they had teams built in now but uh, pretty much, if you guys noticed yesterday, uh, we put that up in the story about joining the the Chronos Fit Whoop Squad. Um, pretty much, just to give you guys what a uh, quick once over of what Whoop does. If you're not following along in the Q and A, so Whoop is a heart rate variability monitor. Basically, uh, between heartbeats, uh, your body has a natural uh, variability um, between heartbeats in like milliseconds. So like between like you know zero to 100 milliseconds variability. Uh, basically, that heart rate variability is a measure of your. Uh, they use it as a as a measure or metric of your uh, recovery. Basically, your heart rate variability is determined by your um, your parasympathetic, the balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So when one one nervous system dominates over the other, um, it causes decreased variability. Um, so if you are you know too stressed out, so too sympathetic, you'll have a reduced heart rate variability, heart rate variability. So basically, that's what the platform uses. It uses heart variability um, to measure your recovery. So the more variable you are, the better recovered you are. And then the less uh, variable, the less recovered you are. In addition, it's a uh, fitness wearable, so it tracks your heart rate as well. So it gives me. It also gives you a um, a daily strain, uh, what they call a strain, but basically it is a measure of your daily uh, volume, essentially. So I like it because it gives you uh, it. And then we also have a we have the lever. Uh, the leaderboard or the team so you can kind of see how everybody is doing on their sleep on their training on their um, heart variability recovery all this other stuff so it's kind of cool to just stack it up i will say though that there are some studs out there um let me pull up some pull up some people but there's there we've got like 14 people in the group right now uh some studs for sure and now it's, it's kind of like a competition for me now because i'm trying to get the most daily the most daily uh strain so the most workouts per day uh so it's kind of a uh competition now for me i like looking at the whoop almost like uh, getting tattoos on those like prominent body parts that if you let yourself go the tattoos look like shit Mm -hmm. so if you have tattoos on your chest abs arms quads like you can't let yourself go you have to stay physically in shape otherwise those tattoos look like total crap I think this is another good way to to remind yourself and to, to stay motivated when you see your peers crushing you on an online yeah, forum. I will say shout out to Austin Willard. 
this dude has a heart rate variability of 171. My heart rate variability is 148, which is, I think, above average. I think 100 is about average for heart rate variability. But this dude's resting heart rate is 37. Someone's at the door. One second. This is so embarrassing. Oh, God. But, yeah, we've got – I'll just continue without Sean. Um, but we have 14 people in the group right now are on the Chronos Fit team. So another thing about, about Whoop that I should probably talk to you guys about is that Whoop is expensive. It's like $30 a month, I believe, right now is what they're offering or what they charge right now. It's a little bit cost prohibitive. It's uh, 30 bucks per month, uh, so it ends up being you know a pretty expensive subscription. And you know, for you guys that uh, don't have as much money uh, or are you know struggling to pay the bills a little bit more, Whoop can be a little bit harder to afford because it for thirty bucks a month. You think about that's pretty expensive. That's you know three hundred dollars, three hundred sixty dollars a year, uh, three hundred sixty dollars a year that you could spend on something else. But for the price, I don't necessarily recommend it because it is very expensive for uh, what it gives you. Uh, but you know if uh, if you're interested in learning more, you know it's a good um, tool to learn more about your body. I was just saying how Whoop is expensive. Oh, no, I was listening to that as I was bringing in my very, very heavy headboard. Solid oak uh, comes in four pieces. It's got a wood etching of me with Brian Shaw, that famous photo that I took in the Denver International Airport a year ago, where we looked to be about the same size. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Whoop, Whoop sounds like a really cool platform to use. I A couple of years ago, uh, when Bobby introduced me to it, um, the watches were really, really expensive. And then I like held off on wanting to purchase it. And then having looked back at all the other stupid shit that I've purchased, I was like, I really wish I had just invested in Whoop instead of now this, you have to pay $30 a month uh, type fitness um, pricing that they have. Yeah, so I did it, I got back and I started, I bought my Whoop shirt back in 2017, back when they just offered a flat rate, just like pay for the strap and get all the uh, software to go with it. But now it's a subscription model. Um, this is actually the third Whoop strap that I've had, uh, my third one, because every time it breaks, I just email them and they send me a replacement one, which is really nice. What's really, what's really cool, too, is they have all the different straps, the different colors. Um, I've met some people out in San Francisco that had the Whoop straps. Um, and, I mean, like, they had different bands and stuff for different occasions. They didn't get after it quite as aggressively as, as we do, but it's a, it's a good tool. I think it's one of those things... In a couple of years, you might see it just like what CrossFit was hoping that insurance companies with your health insurance will provide you with something, you know, um, of this nature to, to maintain your fitness, like a gym membership, a whoop strap, just, you know, instead of some drug that they prescribe you, they, they prescribe you fitness. Yeah, that's an interesting topic because I think that brings up um, some uh, uh, like future like um not really ethical, but like, I guess kind of ethical or data privacy concerns because, you know, your iPhone tracks all these, you know, your activity, like your sleep too. Your If you have an iWatch, your iWatch tracks your heart rate, your steps, all this other shit too. So like my, I think that in the future, you know, what's to stop um, like insurance companies from pulling this data from, you know, Apple and saying like, hey, you know, we're going to pay, you're going to have to pay more for insur- health insurance because you're not living a healthy life. So like, Oh, I don't see any problem with that whatsoever. I think there needs to be more transparency. People are constantly abusing the system, unfortunately, and you know it better than anyone else, but the other people that I've talked to that are in the health industries are always seeing out-of-shape people that are just a huge burden 
on taxpayers, on hospital systems, um, you know, a reason for why they have to have all these expensive tests done because they're out of shape. Um, so that's just something that, like, I really hope in the future it, it does allow fit individuals to pay for, you know, less health insurance if they're if they're good. That's actually a super important point that you bring up because uh, there are like now like boutique health insurance companies that take into account like, you know, that you are physically active, that you're taking care of your body because I think I actually learned, I had this in the class at one point, it's like the sickest 10% of Americans cost 90% of healthcare. Yeah, that's not So normal. like, I mean, I... Yeah. It, it should there should be something that gets done, especially now as we look at the outbreak of Corona um, and not to say that there's one group in particular that's responsible for passing it on because it's so contagious. But you look at the total number of individuals that are being hospitalized and being put on the the ventilators, um, you know, the what what is it that you said, like 30 percent uh, heart disease, diabetes, um some pre-existing uh, mm -hmm. condition that's related uh, to uh, obesity in some way. I mean, if this doesn't wake the country up and go, okay, we need a, like a fitness revolution beyond just paying for absurd medical costs, like this would be one of those instances. Yeah, and that's kind of like my hope of what comes out of this, you know, pandemic is that people learn a little bit about how to take care of their bodies, how important health is, and that, you know, choosing to eat that hot dog or the hamburger you know might taste good at the time but it has you know aggregate it's aggregate effects of the years might not sure and let's check out this smooth segue uh speaking of pandemics and fears how about showing up to your first unit and meeting your fsnco or platoon sergeant i know there's awards for radio but like come on great like, segue so I and if you get to watch me do that live on YouTube, like that's an Oscar-worthy documentary moment. I mean, my look at me, like all right, go ahead, Bobby. Sorry, I'm good looking. I'm uh, getting at that. You back? Okay. Yeah, I'm back. Uh, okay. Uh, what, what was I gonna say? Showing up to your unit, FSNCO. Oh, okay. So I'm a, I was a little bit different. So when I showed up to my unit, my unit was actually deployed to Afghanistan. So I actually showed up and met my unit overseas, which was kind of interesting. Never the same, uh, very interesting experience, like walking into um, a brand new unit overseas, like missing the entire training cycle, you know, all the train up. So I literally, you know, got off the plane at Kandahar, at CAF, and then got taken to my battalion new battalion HQ and then, uh, you know, got sent down to the company or the troop to be in the UFSO. Uh, I don't know, man. I think I thought it went well, you know, uh, I obviously didn't know, like know anybody as my first appointment. Like I was a fresh second lieutenant from Bullock, um, was only been in the army, you know, nine months or something at that point before I got deployed. So it was kind of interesting showing up overseas, but then, you know, I think it just becomes more important, you know, um, kind of the basics and kind of your presence uh from that you know from the oer bullets your presence counts for a lot uh when you first meet somebody um so like looking the part you know how you carry yourself how you interact with other people is very important especially you know meeting these people for the first time you know as much as that like uh saying goes like you only have a first you only have one chance to make a first impression and that first impression 
does mean a lot with your guys or people that you work with. So coming up with having a good first impression also entails, you know, being physically fit, knowing the doctrine, like you talked about, knowing doctrine, knowing how, knowing how to do your job. Of course, you're not going to know everything, but, you know, being able to learn on the job and being able to take feedback from those around you and really implement, you know, what everybody else is doing, implement and just try and get better every day. I think those are all good steps to do and good things to do when you first show up to your first unit. Absolutely. Hey, when you flew into CAF, did did they make you like put on full kit? Yeah. When it, you landed. Yeah, I think they like made us so goofy. Yeah. Dude, that was a. I I just remember that you know being what was it like twenty two or twenty three at the time, and then going out the wire. Do you remember going out the wire for the first time? Yeah, I threw up. <laughs> I like I I I threw up. We 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 went from CAF to Passab, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't throw up from nerves. Let me just put out, put it out that way. Uh, I wanted to be as awake as possible. So we stayed at CAF for a week to Mm -hmm. get our vehicles, um, to get the extra weapons, the ammunition. Uh, I think we got to go like zero. Uh, and then I took like a five hour energy and I've taken those things twice in my life and both times have thrown up within Mm -hmm. like two to three hours. So on the drive out from Kandahar to Passab, uh, those of you familiar with like Maywan, Pandway, Zari, like the Baggy Pole Bridge uh, where the old grain silos used to be, um, as we're going over that bridge, like my whole company's convoying, like I threw my door open as the TC and just vomited. And mm-hmm. uh, my gunner had done, I think, two or three deployments at this point, And he was like, oh, LT's getting sick and nervous. Like, no, God damn it. <laughs> it's the five-hour energy. Sick. It's this bad this is bad. I'm actually juice. physically sick. I'm actually physically ill. I, and I was like, I'll never touch this stuff again. But I remember flying in and like, you've got to put, we got into Afghan airspace as if like some Russian MIG's about to come up on our tail. They're like, put on your kit. And you're like, what? Like, come on, man. Like, we're going to land. And I, I think doing some other deployments um, kind of shed some light on, on, you know, how silly that is uh, flying into one of the most, you know, secure compounds in the entirety of that country. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine getting there on your first deployment and then knowing you're still going to have to go and meet your your significant other, uh, you know, your deployment spouse. Yeah, but it was great. Like that, I will always cherish that memory of that first deployment because I became really good friends with my FSNCO. And looking back on it, maybe a little bit fratty. I don't. I don't know. Because like when I when we redeployed. I actually moved in with my FSNCO for like a month while I got my housing like arranged. So, like, I don't know if that was, you know, a little fratty or just, you know, we had a very professional relationship and respected of each other a lot. Um, and then he was almost like a father figure to me, too. And that was, I don't know if, it was, I don't think it was weird at all, like, living with him. Because, like, I loved, like, I just became a member of the family, you know. Well, I think one of the things with a smaller organization, and, like, you look at, um, the bonds between individuals and group. And we can definitely talk to our, our friends that will be on the podcast tomorrow about this. But uh, the smaller the organization, I feel like the closer and more like borderline crossing that fraternization zone you get. Mm-hmm. And not because it's like you're unprofessional, but because you're in such close proximity. I mean, my company, FSO and FSNCO, were super close um, and it wasn't like they had any different experiences than me and my platoon. Like if anything, my platoon sergeant and I had 
way closer experiences through the deployment and our train up. But because, you know, it was just the FSNCO and the FSO for nine months with very other little interaction from their cell, it was like they naturally, you know, became mm-hmm. like great friends. Yes, I don't necessarily think it was like fr- maybe I don't think it like was fratty at all. It was just that you know, like you said, we were just really close, and we just I respected the hell out of him. Like he had to, he was uh, he had like some like fifth. That was like his fifth or sixth deployment with Big Army, which is wild for Big Army to have that many deployments. Um, but he was like e six at the time, and he already had like five or six deployments at the time. He like would go deploy, come back a year, deploy again, come back a year, and these are like during the the surge in Afghanistan and in in Iraq. So it's kind of interesting. So he had like a wealth experience that, you know, was was very comforting for me because I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. I mean, I remember meeting my potential for the first time and being like relieved. So, you know, Bobby talked about showing up and looking the part and there's a lot of infantry officers out there that don't have their tab. And we want guys to go to school um, and be successful but not saying that the tab is going to make you a successful PL, like far from it. That's just a two month to a six month experience. You're either going to be really successful there or you won't, but it shouldn't be real indicative of, of your ability to lead. But I got to my platoon and my platoon sergeant uh, comes up to me and he's just like you always hear when you're like an RTC or cadet or West Point cadet, you know, multiple deployments, uh, either from like the 101st or 82nd or 25th, 10th mountain, like one of the big infantry light units, uh, six foot three, six foot four, like 230, 240, just a, a gigantic, like towering individual. And I just remember being like, we're going to be good. And uh, he and I sat down and we talked through like, you know, stuff, stuff that he saw at the unit that he disliked, that he knew had been successful um, at the 101st. And when I got to hood and it was like, okay, I'm cav now and we're in this like mechanized, you know, I was like, okay, whatever was light that worked, we should probably bring it here because I've only heard bad stories about mechanized units Mm -hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, when it comes to fitness, um, professionalism, like, you know, people that want to go infantry don't want to go mech. Like they want to go light for a reason. And so I sat down and talked with him. I talked to my squad leaders uh, really informally, just figuring out like their personalities, what their home life generally looked like. I talked to the first sergeant to identify like, was I going to lose any of these squad leaders or my platoon sergeant potentially in the 12 to, you know, 24 months that I might be the PL uh, so that I can start helping them in that next chapter of the army. But that first time I met my platoon sergeant, like strong handshake, just big jack dude, uh, could not have been more professional. And uh, it really took a lot of stress off me knowing that, you know, we got off on, on such a good foot. And then like finally to close out on like that intro piece is we went and did some PT together and he could throw around weights with the best of them, but he loved to run. And so we would go on these platoon runs and he wouldn't allow any of the squad leaders to drop out with the fallouts. Cause he was like, you don't need to be falling out. I'm a better runner than you. I'm going to get these guys and I'm going to, you know, help them out behind the, uh, the tree line you stay with the rest of the platoon to show that you can lead in my absence and i was like that's that's fucking mm-hmm. phenomenal like that's the exact thing that needs to happen on formation runs and i just had a my platoon sergeant left such a, a positive impact on on me in the army and I, I could not have been like happier starting off with him yes that's interesting that you mentioned that because i think that's a 
strong parallel between both our stories that we kind of walked into these very you know high function where where we had very high functioning counterparts, and that's kept being kind of my motto my entire I feel like army experience um, is that I've always had pretty strong NCOs besides me, so that I can't you know I always had a strong team and 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 had some strong support so I never really had the experience like dealing with a um, like a subpar NCO or having to deal with the professionalism, uh, with like my subordinates because my NCOs were always on point and could handle everything. hundred percent. And the things that I wish though I had done differently when I first got to my unit would have been a result of more emphasis placed on learning the doctrine, uh, at iBullock. Mm-hmm. And I use like creating a live fire as an example. When I got there, we, got rid of the Bradleys because we were about to go to Afghanistan and do a, a big train up and, you know, focus on light infantry stuff. And I had to come up with a live fire and I knew generally what I wanted to, to have for our company to be successful, but I could not really talk, uh, the talk. I could walk the walk, but I couldn't talk the talk. I, I couldn't go and brief a company. I couldn't brief the battalion, all of the doctrinal terms that I had learned at iBullock, but written off as these aren't important. I don't need to know the difference um, between containment isolation. I just need to know, you know, what uh, an attack by fire, a support by fire is, and I'll be good. And what I've learned since then is that you need to be that expert because you need to be able to talk that piece, not only to your subordinates, but to your superiors to indicate to them that you are a master of your craft. Like you're not just this ranger qualified infantry officer, like you need to be a professor when you sit down and you talk to your team leaders and squad leaders, they're going to have a ton of hands-on experience, um, but they're not always going to have opportunities to brief. And so if you don't give them the tools and introduce to them those doctrinal tools that they can go out there and just start throwing out, you know, what exactly they're doing for their task and purpose, like you're setting them up for failure in the future. And so like that starts early as a platoon leader where you realize that like your mission is not just leading these individuals, it's also teaching. Why do you keep saying doctrina, doctrinal? Doctr- doctrinal, isn't that doc- the... Doctrinal? Uh, I think it's doctrinal. I think it's doctrinal. I don't know. It's doctrine. Doctrine so plus anal. Doctrinal. Doctrinality. How about that? We'll just make a new word. Yeah, but I, but yeah. I don't know. Like, that was... That was that was one thing that I really wish I had had learned because I didn't I didn't really get a good understanding of that until I got to Ranger Regiment and uh, my company commander brought me in and was like, hey, you need to read like 3-90 closer. You need to understand like what every single task and purpose is because you're not going to be limited to like the basic infantry missions from here out. And if you get up there and you start briefing and you start assigning tasks, like you're going to look like an idiot uh, if you don't speak as some subject matter authority. So like that completely changed my perspective on what doctrine uh, looked like, you know, in the army. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that as, you know, as young officers, um, I think I had the same issue or or the same belief that I was just like, whatever, you know, I got this. It's like, who cares? Like what, if I use the right term or right, like you said, the right task and purpose, like what does it matter as long as I can convey my, my, you know, my, my ideas to effectively, like, what does it matter if I use the right word or not, but it kind of does matter and kind of just highlights the importance of, you know, understanding the basics very well, because, um, if you can't know, if you don't 
have a good foundation or good starting blocks or building blocks, like everything you build on top of that is going to fall apart. So like, you know, if you don't have a good, like Sean uh, was talking about, like if you don't have a good grasp of like squad tasks, how are you going to be able to do that, you know, at a company level when you're a company commander? If you never had the experience at like a platoon level of being able to manage and lead a platoon and uh, not having the, you know, the the basic fundamentals to build upon when you when you move up the higher echelons. Yeah. And, you know, speaking to the importance of Ranger School, when I first looked at Ranger School because my dad was Ranger qualified, I thought it was just like a gut check that that's all that that tab really indicated or your ability to lead a platoon you know, for, through some basic infantry level tasks. Um, what I also learned was Ranger School was a great tool for teaching. And everything comes back to this idea of teaching. Because, again, if you're at a mech unit and you have a bunch of very junior uh, 11 Bravos and um, you even have some uh, squad leaders that have never spent time outside of a mech unit, if you have to train for a, a light mission, like that might be the first time anywhere from one to four years that they've seen those kind of tactics or received those kind of orders. And going through setting up the basics that you learn at Ranger School from uh, recons to ambushes, uh, linear and L-shaped to, to basic raids, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to rely on you to be able to uh, impart on them that they subsequently can go out and teach their team leaders and soldiers and so it's incredibly important that when you go through I Bullock, when you go through Ranger School, F.A. Bullock, you're picking up all those lessons that you've learned and the methods that they use to teach you, whether it's the Foom Board at Ranger School or a big PowerPoint class at I Bullock, and get those products afterwards so you can teach your guys the exact same thing. Because I mean, that's the whole point of Ranger School and Abrams Charters. You make the organization better that you go to because you pass, or not impass, but you impart. You, uh, you impart that knowledge on another group of individuals. It's not something you just, you know, selfishly retain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, a lot, you know, I'm a big, uh, believer in this, that, you know, uh, like with maturity or just knowledge base, you all, you have a, or just people in general have a, um, kind of tendency to miss the forest for the trees or miss the trees for the, no, miss the forest through the trees, where you kind yeah. of miss the big picture and you get locked in on, on this one like task that you have to do, you know, like in like Bullock, like locked in on this one test. So you, you, th you think that, you know, if I can just pass this test, that that's all I need to do. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that you can learn that aren't going to be tested on, you know, in your curriculum, like whether it's like talking, like talking with your peers, you know, building connections and building ties with your peers, um, picking like NCOs or your, um, or like your teacher's brains because, you know, they're going to be a wealth of experience um, so that you're, you know, not going to get another chance to pick somebody else's brain like that. So there's a lot of things that um, I think that people that just in general you should be aware of is that or just people should be aware of in general is that, you know, just don't get, you know, locked in on one single task <clears throat> and then, you know, miss the sight of the big picture. Like there are a lot of opportunities to learn um, that, you know, you're not going to be tested on on a test during training. And I'll tell you one of the biggest things, aside from learning the doctrine that I wish I'd focus on was like machine gun theory. Because, and it sounds weird, but as an infantry officer, you know, like you could potentially be out there with nothing but just your platoon. Um, or even if you're going out on a company mission and you've established this support by fire, that's one of the most 
powerful elements of your entire platoon. Um, you know, usually you got like anywhere from two to three two forties, uh, and so they're going to be rocking. But you don't want them to go through too much ammo, and your weapon squad leader is going to help you a lot with this. But in the sequencing of your like order of movement through an objective, you have to be able to identify exactly how much ammunition is going to be burned up by you going from you know, uh, the release point to, you know, the objective and crossing, um, the, the different, uh, phase lines so that when, by the time you get to the objective, you haven't burned through all of your, your ammunition. And so you can get on to the next objective and then knowing exactly what that frontline trace is and how to shift off of it was probably some of the best things that I learned before I went to Afghanistan to actually put it into, uh, uh into practice on my first deployment. Um, and then the other thing as a, as an infantry officer, as a junior infantry officer, like you grow up watching Band of Brothers and you're like, all right, I got to be Dick Winters. Like I have to lead, you know, and be with the assault element on every single raid that I'm on. Um, because that's what, you know, they teach you, you, you that whole motto, follow me. But then you get to Ranger Regiment and they're like, no, like, and, and I totally see why, why on earth does it make sense that this brand new you know, second lieutenant, 22, 23 years old, is leading that assault element onto the objective over the platoon sergeant who has, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 years of experience and multiple deployments in combat and knows how to do the job of that assault squad leader, has known how to, you know, do the weapon squad leader task, has gone through all these ranks only then to be, like, relegated to running uh, Kazavak operations and sitting back at the weapons squad position. Like, that makes zero sense. Like, after, you know, I left regiment, I was like, yeah, that's what the way the conventional army does it is backwards. Is that to teach the platoon leader something for going forward? Uh, is that a trust issue? Um, I just wish I had done that more with my platoon sergeant and I didn't just fall into the mold that every infantry platoon leader has to be the one leading on an operation instead of deferring to, like, years of experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point they bring up, especially in like uh, in terms of understanding your role in an organization and understanding your role on the team too. You know, you can't have you know so many you know so many chefs in the kitchen or so many you know whatever whatever like idiom or that you want to use. You can't have too many leaders. Powerlifters in a squat yeah, rack. Yeah, you can't have too many powerlifters in a squat rack. But and, and then understanding the roles that you play and the capabilities that you offer in terms of being able to. Uh, you know, coordinate with higher headquarters for additional assets of communicating, you know, the um, like code, like the keywords and phase of the operation, being able to coordinate everything and run the big picture. Like, you know, you shouldn't be, um, you should be playing chess, not, you know, playing, being the pawn on the front lines. Uh, you should be, you know, back, back, you should be back coordinating all the action and coordinating the assets and being able to talk effectively and communicate clearly up, both up and down. Yeah, I think the best piece of advice I ever got was on my first deployment in regiment. I got there, um, and now uh, the regimental sergeant major, uh, you know, I sat down and I saw him there, and I was like, hey, can I get some some advice from you? I haven't, I'm not getting a platoon yet. Um, I just want to fit in and do do my part. What what was the best advice that you would offer? And he just went over to a whiteboard, drew a big circle, and that big circle drew a smaller circle, and he's like, all right, this small circle is the objective that's your platoon sergeant's job. Like, support him. That big circle, everything around that includes hire, includes air, includes uh, other ground units, uh, includes your reports. Like, that's you. 
And so from that day on, I just saw these two circles on all my mission planning uh, that I conducted when I got back and had to plan events in garrison. And then when I left regiment and was doing uh, other operations, when I got to like the 4th Infantry Division, I always kept that in mind. It was like, all right, there's like these spheres of influence. Don't step onto his, support whoever is like the main effort, um, but just know that like there's a responsibility beyond like what you're tasking and that you ha- you're going to be accountable for it. And that was that was like phenomenal. Just those, that two circle diagram like completely changed how like I did everything in the army. Yeah. So like, I remember just being told stay in your lane. And then I think that's the exact kind of the, the point that you're trying to drive is just stay in your lane, influence what you can influence and understand, you know, where, what you can and can't do. Yeah. It's just, it's really daunting when you show up to your first unit, you know, you don't know what's important. There's a lot of, uh, effort to, to show a good esprit de corps that you're like buying into the unit mission, um, supporting higher. Um, but at the end of the day, all you're worried about is like when I stand in front of this formation of soldiers, rangers, paratroopers, like, am I going to look like a total goon or am I going to like leave this formation in 18 months and they're going to go, okay, like we got better. And, you know, I might've learned something from that Lieutenant before, you know, the next one in a very long line of lieutenants follows you mm-hmm. yeah for sure um anything else that you want to move on to i'm sorry i kind of i thought i didn't want to be the dead horse still oh no i just wanted to because we get we got a couple questions today about you know what was it like showing up to your first unit and like important that we can release at least some of this information if it helps anyone yeah another thing that i i kind of want to talk about is kind of like people that always ask us like what does it take to be like successful and i kind of hate okay i I hate when people ask us like how do you be successful it's like i don't know you know like what worked for me is going to be different for you everybody is going to be different whether you know due to different personality types different levels of you know of different expertises different strengths different weaknesses it's hard it's hard it's really hard to be able to tell like everybody you know what it takes to be successful but I think some basic things like uh, to be successful, if you look at like high performing individuals, regardless of what their occupation is, whether it's in the army, like special operations, you know, you talk about like lawyers or doctors or like CEOs, all these like high powered individuals. I think a lot of there are a lot of shared characteristics between all of them. Uh, the biggest one, you know, we talk about is grit. Um, that's probably one of the bigger, uh, you know, aspects of things that you can control is that how you know how hard you're willing to work for something and i think that's um gonna be like the basis is you know how bad do you want it and how much are you willing to work because i mean like you can do anything you want in this world and in this life it depends on how much you want it and how much you're willing to work for it and not getting into like the whole like you know system like systemic whatever like opportunities and you know things like that and like social issues but you know, you have the opportunity to do whatever you want as long as you are able or willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears to get to that point. I don't think there's a like a, a concrete um, path that individuals have to take either to be successful, especially we look in the military. I mean, all the individuals that I looked up to, um, both that were superiors, subordinates, and then peers, all had characteristics that were more personality-based that I thought was a 
bigger indicator of their success and their potential. Um, we, you know, we talked about just having your tab doesn't make you uh, a good leader. Get, getting a CIB doesn't make you, uh, you know, the leader that everyone wants to follow because you can get those for almost anything nowadays. Um, what does matter are the things like, you know, are you personable? Uh, do you have empathy? Can you learn well from others? And if you make a mistake, does it shut you down or do you bounce back and, you know, have some, some resiliency there? These guys that are constantly looking for almost like a shortcut, like, okay, like I got my tab as an infantry officer, I got a platoon, I got XO, like half the time, if you just follow this like linear uh, transgression, uh, transgression, Jesus Christ, my words are gone today. If you just follow this like general linear path, right? Like that's probably just going to make you an incredibly boring field grade. Some battalion S3, battalion XO that, you know, you are just trudging along through your military career. Like the real dynamic leaders, the ones that got after it that people wanted to follow were the ones that didn't just care to just get their Ranger tab, that didn't care just to, like they wanted to better themselves the entire time that they were in the Army. So they were reading books while they were in And, and I'm not talking like, you know, on leadership or reading some whatever the desert fox like i'm not talking that kind of stuff that your battalion commander like got mushy over because he loved it so much i'm talking like actual like self-development self-coaching um things that like you know bobby's mentioned as books that he's recommended and read that's the kind of stuff that creates engagement between you and another person not just you and your own like high and mighty perception of how you know history like that's that's the opposite the guy that's gonna like quote the doctrine and then mirror it up with some like historical context is a boring fucking leader the guy who quotes doctrine but then motivates someone to want to go out and follow him is the person that people want to be led by yeah i think uh the thing that i like to say is just like be a good dude you know yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to quantify, but you you, in like it's hard to quantify and describe what it means to be a good dude. But you know, you know when you see it, like you know this guy's a good dude when you hang out with them and like want to be with them and want to talk to them and hang out with them. Like I think that's what you not trying to say that you should be friendly or be your best friend for everybody that you work with, but you should be a good dude, um, depending on how you interpret that. Yeah, uh, being a dude good dude is probably the easiest thing to see when like your platoon or you or someone in your chain of command like fucks up so if someone in your platoon if you're you know soldier or ranger does something stupid it's going to be really apparent really quickly whether or not you have their back or whether you're just no, we just have to throw the book at them because that's what i've been taught i have to crush souls i have to do everything you know like that's wrong. Like you have to take every single like transgression, that's the right word there, um, that, you know, someone has and you have to weigh it accordingly. And you can't just be like this like dictator mm. where people have to fear you. And I don't know, it. if you've been chewed out in front of your soldiers for something because of like you're either making sure that they get the proper shielding from above, like you're that buffer, like that would probably go a long way. Don't I'm saying don't put yourself in that position that you have to get that. But like if you go to bat for your soldiers, like they will do that tenfold for you when it counts when you're out on a mission or when you're mission planning and need something like as quick as possible. Yeah, I think uh if I had to like say my top three like piece of advice, I think number one would be like 
be a good dude. And I'm saying like, dude, like a guy, like, you know, be a good person, not good dude. Maybe I should say that persons have a good dude. Be a good, be a good person. Dude, dudette. Whatever. Or no dude affiliation. Yeah. Not just for males, but be a good person for one. Number two is like, take care of your subordinates, take care of the guys. And then number three is, uh, I guess would be like, be resilience and never giving up. And I think four would be like, uh, have empathy and then keep working on yourself and like self-improvement, I guess would be like my big four. Yeah. hundred percent. If you're a brand new Lieutenant out there and you just like, I don't know how to be personable. Like I'm a robot. Like, that sucks. Like the, the next time one of your soldiers gets promoted to like an E5, like it's probably not going to be just one person. It might be like two or three of them. Or if you have a whole bunch of PFCs that get promoted to specialist, like I took my guys out to lunch. Like it's a, you know, I think at one point the largest group that I, I, I took out was, I want to say 16 to 17 guys, almost half the platoon because we just had a bunch of promotions and, like, I didn't want to limit it to just the soldiers. Like, if they had, you know, a family that showed up for the promotion, like, take them too. But, like, stuff like that. That I'm not saying, like, buy their love, but, like, you're a lieutenant. You're making enough money. Like, that's the time where you sit down away from work and you can learn about them personally. Do they have children? You know, the kind of stuff that you should be asking your platoon sergeant and your squad leaders. Like, that's where you find out about your, your junior enlisted soldiers. Um, and speaking of like junior enlisted, m- my preference there is never refer to them as Joe. Um, that was always like a, a, it always put a real sour taste in my mouth because you'd always see like senior officers just, oh yeah, go and get Joe to do this, get Joe to do that. It's like, no, like they're junior enlisted, either call them by their rank, their name, but don't just refer to them as a Joe. Cause at some points it becomes derogatory, um, you know, it's the same way that when you talk to your NCOs, you didn't treat them like, you know, they were total losers. Like, you know, they earned that rank, and so you gave it to them. It's the same way with the individuals that just joined the Army. And years from now, they might be the sergeant major of the Army. It doesn't mean that you should, you know, disrespect them at the very beginning just because they haven't earned, you know, those chevrons yet. I'm, that That's like a tangent there, but, like, I would mm-hmm. I would stop from saying the word Joe if that's in, in your regular vocabulary. Yeah, I think that if you expanded on what you just said and say something along the lines of like respecting everybody as human beings first and then, you know, military later, I think that's a good another good guideline to kind of follow is that, you know, you're human beings first, you have a job, you work together too, like there's military too, but at the end of the day, you're a human being and you should treat everybody with respect. Um, yeah, and these individuals volunteered just like you. Um, maybe, you know, some of them, uh, would have made incredible officers, but they didn't have the support to go to get an undergraduate degree. Um, you know, they're earning their way through school by enlisting first. And then I, I'll be honest, I've had some soldiers that had more degrees than I did. And you're just like, like, oh, okay, if that was the, the distinguishing factor that made me an officer, like all of a sudden now that makes you really reflect as to what makes a good officer and what makes a good soldier. Because if it's coming down to just a degree, I think that is like a it's kind of a laughable standard that you just take four years to go get, especially if you get like a bullshit degree. Cause that, that does not separate you. I think enough to say like, what's going to be a, a good leadership characteristic versus what's going to be like, you know, again, some high and mighty individual sitting up there on a golden throne. Yeah. I think it's like, like, I think 
the things that you say, I like to kind of bring those like the big picture. So like what you just said about, you know, not comparing degrees is like, I don't know if you should like people, I know like personality, like personally a lot, like my personality is that, or my personal belief is that I don't try to, um, think I'm better than people. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're still a human being. You shouldn't be, you know, approaching people thinking that you're better than them by basis of your position, by basis of your education, by basis of all these things. Like, you know, I think we're all equal in the eyes of, you know, whoever deity you want to go with. But, you know, we're all we're all human beings. We're all equal, and then you should treat everybody with, with respect. And then, um, you shouldn't try to, you know, use something to compare yourself to other people. And then, you know, say that you're in different, you know, different class or different, you know, higher standing than another person. It's not necessarily. I don't think that's the right way to go through life. Bobby, would you do this over again uh, with the army? Uh, process that you've like endeavored uh, to pursue, like going to West Point first, commissioning, going back to med school, or would you would you change any of that? I have no regrets on the path that I have chose, but um, if I could go back in time, knowing what I know now, I think I would have considered uh, enlisting first and then going to West Point mm-hmm. and then going the route that yeah. I did because um, I just not not to say like I regret not doing that. I just didn't know. Like, you know, the army was like this until I went through the army. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, I really enjoy being in the army. I really enjoy being with the guys. And I really enjoy doing all these army things and, and being in the military. But I didn't know that, you know, in high school. I didn't know about the army until – I didn't even know about, that much about the army until I went to West Point, to be honest. Like, I just kind of jumped into it because I kind of, you know, identified with that experience. Um, so if I, th- if I could go back and, like, write the perfect, like, steps or tr- – perfect life i think i would have like enlisted in with like an option 40 out of high school gone to regiment got my tab um and then gone to either west point or like the college gotten a degree and then gone either in you know back in the army or gone to med school from there um but i kind of wish i had that enlisted experience too yeah no i i completely agree with you with not like regretting like any of the steps that i've taken to get here i mean like one it led me to you. But like in all seriousness, I wish I had had some appreciation for what uh, my soldiers and rangers went through um, from the very beginning. And I'm not just saying like for those individuals, go to basic and then do like the National Guard thing while you're in ROTC. Like I'm not advocating that at all. I'm saying I wish I had done three years like in Ranger Regiment, really understood the value of an undergraduate education, because I'll be honest, when I got mine, I knew I was going to go into the army and I was like, all right, whatever. Like GPA is somewhat important. Uh, I really don't know what I want to major in. Um, it took me like a year before I declared uh, for economics, but I would have had a much better appreciation like I do now for like the value of hard work and the value of a degree, uh, long before, you know, leading a a single uh, group of soldiers. So I would have, I would have rather gone, done the exact same thing, three years enlistment, gone to undergrad, come back, uh, commissioned, and then maybe um, gone and gotten like, you know, a law degree after doing like eight years um, as an officer. But I feel like there was a lot that uh, would have been really beneficial, especially from that first moment that, you know, you take the oath as an officer and all those fears of showing up to your unit that would have been completely squashed. Um, by some prior enlisted experience. Right. Because a lot of the things, like, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. 
know them get them yeah, I don't, I don't there know. know it because you don't know what you don't know until you until you realize you don't know it so like uh you know as a junior officer you have a lot of say in kind of how things are run and kind of your decisions um can have a lot of second and third order effects that you might not anticipate uh when, i think crystal has like a good quote about how he views himself as kind of a, like a, a like a like a military organization is kind of like a dinosaur where like the head is like one person but like if you make the decisions uh like you turn left for example the tail is like much bigger than the head itself and the tail like will end up like hitting things or knocking things over and that you know when you're when you're an officer and you make these decisions you often aren't fully understanding of the possible second and third order effects or just effects in general. Um, and then if you're, you know, have some prior enlistment experience, you can kind of see like the effects and some decisions might have on um, the effects that some decisions might have on, on, on your like lower enlisted or your NCOs that you wouldn't have the experience of uh, seeing that the other side of things. So that, that thing, like things like, you know, you know, everyone has to turn their arm, like, draw the weapons and clean their weapons and all this other shit like like that you know you have to do but then like things like you don't take into account like the guys that have already done that and, and then just sitting there you know sitting there with their weapons out even though it's already been clean and then you're they're just sitting there wasting time when they could be doing you know it's things like that that you don't necessarily appreciate uh what goes on behind the scenes after you after an order is given yeah i mean like getting ready to go out uh on mission with the regiment like you, you know, as a, as an officer, once you get there, you have a, a pretty good understanding of everything that it takes to get out onto a target. Um, but being able to step away, knowing that like the mission planning is done, the op has been given, and then you go and you see the skill and the speed that these rangers are operating at, both going through the ready room, whatever equipment you need for the mission, however you're getting to the mission, the, the steps that they're taking in order to just to get on the aircraft, like it's like, taking one of those uh, anthills and putting them in like a like a big glass box and seeing all the hundreds of like these little legs just running about all to support eventually like you know that queen that's sitting at the bottom like it's a really humbling experience when you get to to plan operations with your squad leaders and platoon sergeant with the support of the battalion behind you um, and just see the incredible things that rangers can do with like again you give them a task and purpose and why I said earlier why it's important to understand what those words are that you're using um, because the second order, second and third order effects that Bobby mentioned uh, are so incredibly uh, expansive and important to like a single part of the mission. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So that, I think that, you know, if I could go back in time, I would consider doing, having that experience just to be able to, you know, have a better, uh, understanding of the things, not to say like, I don't have a, like a basic grasp of, you know, the second, third order effects. Like you can only, you can only predict what you've experienced or like have seen. So if you have never experienced something, it's hard to really predict or, you know, really understand where it's coming from. Like, you know, I get like, I remember like at West Point we had to deal with like stupid, like, you know, cleaning and shit, like all these stupid, like, you know, like taskings, um, but it's like you mean the rocket not like the rocket but like you know we had to like do all these stupid shit like clean up like um you know take out the trash deliver newspapers be doing the minutes and all these other like stupid things so i kind of get like the um the system of like you know the junior enlisted are responsible for like the basic stuff then like you move on from there so i kind of get i've gotten that experience i don't i 
understand what it's like to live in the barracks. I understand like all these different things too, but it doesn't replace the actual experience itself, which I think a lot of, um, you know, officers lack. And then if you don't have the self-awareness or the, just the awareness in general, you know, you're walking or you're sending yourself up for failure. If you think you know everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a really cool experience that individuals get to have. And I would say from the perspective of someone who's now left the military, uh, I value the education that I'm receiving now so much more um, because of putting in a lot of hard work uh, and seeing like other individuals um, come together to support like a single mission and go, okay, like this is what's important in life. And so a lot of the stress that like Bobby's had at school that I've had in school it seems trivial at some point because you're like, okay, like I've seen organizations that are getting after it. Like I can get through this little, you know, exam period. I can get through the, these tests because I've seen some individuals do some incredible things with much less. Yeah. It just puts, it just puts everything in perspective, you know, having, uh, life experiences in general, you know, experiences translate everywhere else. Like you don't know how it translates until you had the experience and they can see, you know, the effects of it. And uh, it's just kind of cool. I think that, you know, I'm a big fan of like the Renaissance man theory of being able to do everything and being able to person, Renaissance person, person, big fan of the Renaissance person uh, idea of being able to do, you know, read, write, being able to physically fit, being a good leader, having good personal interpersonal skills, being like being able to do everything. I think, you know, as human beings, you should be able to do everything. And, you know, you should try to do everything on your own um, because you never know. You shouldn't have to rely on somebody else to for you to live your own life, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, what books, Bobby, now that we've like talked about being a renaissance dude, uh, would you recommend for our book club? Because you, you sent a couple to me. We've got a, a giant list. Yeah. Um, I think I think we should read out some of them so that you know people can can go and maybe purchase them ahead of time, um, knowing that you know eventually we're gonna we're gonna be talking about these in the future. Yeah, so actually the book of the month that we're going to read is The Four Agreements. I actually have it right here. I don't know why I'm holding it up because I stopped recording on the on my computer because the video was messing up. So I don't know why I'm holding it up. Oh. But anyways, we're reading The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, it's a very short read. It's like 90 pages. Um, it should take you like about an hour to read, to be honest. It's a very easy read, so we're starting off easy. Uh, but we're also uh, trying to compile... Um, compile a bunch of books to put on the website so that you guys can reference some kind of pick and choose uh some other books uh to read because one book a month honestly it's kind of uh it's kind of unsatisfactory or unsat uh if you're only reading one book a month yeah i think uh some of the books that uh we've talked about other than the the four agreements like you talk classic literature um i love a farewell to arms I, i love hemingway um, that's going to be on there, but you got stuff like 1984, Crime and Punishment, Brave New World. Um, as far as literature would be concerned, I would consider The Hobbit, uh, you know, part of, of that. But I think we, we do have a, a fiction, you know, fun sci-fi section. Um, some sci-fi stuff for the people out there. Uh, the Old Man's War trilogy, uh, the Hyperion series, um, the Expanse series, like these are all stuff uh, that, that Bobby and I get into when we want to nerd out, um, and, and they're they're great. Um, 
Bobby, how about some like self help stuff? Like, what are the top three that you'd recommend? So uh, people getting after. I've had a lot of. I've really enjoyed Dave Goggins' book, um, "Can't Hurt Me." That's been, uh, I wouldn't say life changing, but it's definitely altered my perspective a little bit. And I look back on, you know, d- despite what you think about Dave Goggins, you have to, you really have to. I highly, highly recommend getting his audiobook and listening to his audiobook because it's not only his book, but like his podcast where he talks about and gives you like more insights into what happened uh, in his life. I think that's a, like a fantastic audiobook and highly recommend that one. Uh, grit's really good too, because grit, um, like we talked about being persevering and having grit is probably one of the more important uh, char- uh, characteristics that you can have as an individual. And then uh, I've always been a big fan of Outliers uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. That's also a good book. And Grit is by Angela Duckworth, uh, by, if anyone's any, uh, interested. Yeah, Grit's a, Grit's a really great book. Um, Bobby introduced that to me when we went up and worked with uh, Northeastern men's soccer team this summer. Uh, we actually used a, a lot of that book as part of like our uh, post-exercise classroom period. Um, and like she, the author does a fantastic job. I would say, you know, within the first 90 pages of really laying out exactly, uh, what the like pillars of success look like when it comes to grit and the kind of formula that you can use to identify, uh, your strengths and weaknesses. So I think grit is a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, um, you know, go ahead and and grab it on, on Amazon, especially in this quarantine environment. What about you, Sean? Uh, I'm not real big into the nonfiction or historical books. So I'll be honest, that's one of my weaknesses is history and reading history recreationally or nonfiction recreationally. I'm more into kind of the psychology and self-help and like just, you know, recreational reading like uh, nonfiction stuff. But I know that you're more into kind of the the nonfiction. Yeah, when when I look at like nonfiction books – like and it's it's still somewhat fiction, but like they met at Gettysburg, uh, those kind of books that have a um, historical flair, uh, but there's still almost a little bit of a fiction um, built in. So it gives based off of like at they met at Gettysburg, it, it talks about all of the the major generals, um, you know that were uh, in that battle, but based off of the letters from these generals. Um, based off of uh, the, you know, records that we have on them, they create like dialogues to teach you uh, exactly, you know, what these leaders were thinking. And so when I talked about earlier, like geeking out over like Rommel, um, I geek out over stuff that has a little bit of a historical flair, but at the same time, um, the author has done uh, an extensive amount of work to introduce the background to that. So um, that's like a non-fiction book slash fiction book, I guess, that you could you could really get after. Uh, I'm trying to think what else, what other books that I've recently read that I've really liked. I've been on like a non-fiction kick, so like all the Witcher series is, is the stuff that I've been reading as of late. But um, yeah, we'll get all this stuff up on the website so people can see exactly what we're getting after. Um, Because you can't just pigeonhole yourself to one type of book. Uh, You have to be able to to read and put yourself out there and and find yourself in some uncomfortable waters um, to know that you know you can survive hearing a a, you know a potentially different differing opinion than your own. 
Yeah, sorry about that. I had to run to get piss, so I apologize for missing the last minute or so. That's fine. We'll just like throw in some Niagara Falls audio over that, just so you know how powerful it yeah. is. Uh, but uh, I think. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna try. Um, you know, add some of our books onto the list and try to compile like, a more comprehensive list of books that we kind of like. Um, just to pass to you guys, you know, try to give it a little bit of everything, uh, based on kind of our, uh, perspectives and just, you know, over the years of reading things that I've liked, things I have on my bookshelf that I've kept over the years are, are always good signs of, you know, books that I like to go back to every now and then. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, man. Well, tomorrow we've got the, uh, the podcast coming out with a couple, uh, 18 alphas where we will answer the questions that, you all have submitted uh, this week about uh, SFAS, uh, Q course. Um, these these individuals have some background uh, in the Ranger Regiment as well, so they'll be able to kind of discuss what some basic differences are without getting uh, too much into each unit's mission. But it'll be a really cool uh, opportunity for those of you out there that wanted to hear what the other side of uh, the soft coin yeah. was. I will say as kind of a caveat that um, all of us share pretty much relatively the same kind of career path you know we were uh we all you know spent second lieutenant time in the regular army and then went to the rasp so we all have kind of that experience we all we're all in when we're all in regiment together um so we can only speak kind of to our experiences so we can't really talk about you know coming in, going from straight from big army into sf because we never really experienced that yeah they'll be able to discuss what they've seen from their peers that did that um, and have those experiences and whether or not that's been uh, more positive or, or detrimental based on, you know, where they see that, that measurement of success. Um, but also just to know that I'll be outnumbered uh, in this podcast uh, by the three angry bat guys. Um, so if there's a lot of hate tomorrow and just hate, 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 hate and anger and we video this and people just look very scowled, you'll know which one of us, uh, you know, had a more relaxing time at Tybee Island just by our general demeanor and you know, smile. Yeah. We're all, we're all three, seven, five guys. Um, hate it or love it. You know, there is only one battalion that's done the majority of the work in GWAT. First battalion <laughs> beach bat, the best looking bat. The guys that bring Paul made to a post mission brief because they know how important hair is. Dude, my, uh, that's not only one, seven, five, my commander at, uh, Pretty sure we started that. No, nope, we started that. that my was first us. commander, great dude, uh, is at it went to CAG. I don't know what he's doing now, but it was at CAG as a troop leader. Uh, would always have a thing of pomade on him, and then every time we, I just remember at MLAP, you know, getting off the bird like after MLAP was over, he took off he took off his ops core and then threw some pomade on and just put his hair back the way it normally is. And I was like, God dang, this is a fucking this guy's the man. I remember uh, speaking of hair. I was I was looking forward to really growing mine out on deployment, and I always like I I rode the line um, so far as like what was permissible within the uniform standards. And my platoon sergeant was like, "Sir, please, like, I know everyone likes long hair, but if the guys see you with hair like that, they're gonna want to grow their hair like that. And while you won't get chewed out." I promise you these other rangers will. So I was like, okay. So I shaved my head for the deployment. And uh, 
Yeah, I had that, and I had my dad's BCGs um, that I had had the lens replaced. So I was like one of the ugliest motherfuckers in Afghanistan. Um, so I didn't get to experience like really growing my hair out on that deployment, which was a which was a total bummer because I was ready for it. I was like, oh my god, first post mission, like I'm gonna have this immaculate flow. And instead, first post mission, someone was like, "What the fuck is that? Did he just graduate Ranger School? Like, where? Who is this? Who is this nerd?" Yeah, that was me. But you know, function over form. Wait, function over look. I guess functionality reigns supreme. Yeah, yeah. it was great because, like, when it was hot as fuck in Afghanistan, I I didn't have to shower every day, you know, because my hair, you know, wasn't greasy. No one could tell. That's disgusting. Oh, please, if you showered every day, like... Shower twice a day. Get over yourself. Shower twice a day. Oh, my God, no. No, I my 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 guys on my first deployment, because I was like, why? I don't need to shower every single day, would start taking my stuff out of the tent and, like, putting it on the roof or putting it outside the tent because they were like, your shit stinks. That's actually like, guys, disgusting. Like, guys, we all smell. That's, we all smell. I don't know. No. That's disgusting. You are, you're the smelly guy. I'll put it that way. You were the smelly guy of the platoon. There's always one in the platoon. There's always one, always one smelly guy, and you were the smelly guy. I, whatever. Embarrassing. We were in Afghanistan. That place smelled like shit anyway. If anyone's ever flown over Kabul, like going from Scorpion to Bath, like you know when you're there because it smells awful. Like it is the worst. It's just like an open sewer. Yeah, good old Afghanistan. No offense to Afghanistan, but like, if if like if they can deal with like that's that's when I knew that the coronavirus was bad. Like, what would happen to this country if we didn't have toilet paper? And then it just brought flashbacks to Afghanistan. Oh, we would smell like Afghanistan. We need our toilet paper. Like, for the love of God, Costco restock. Yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts? No. Nah. Yeah. We'll have another. We'll have three podcasts this week now. Uh, like I said, uh, unfortunately, this one uh, I kind of fucked up and did not record this one, so that's on me. Uh, I didn't record the the video for it, but I recorded the audio, obviously, because uh, you're listening to it right now. So we'll get the we'll get this out, and then we'll have the video set up for next time uh, and try and work together uh, and get uh, capture some quality content with our SF podcast. Yeah! 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 All right, we will catch you guys later. Bye, guys. Peace.